0: From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. The Supreme Court ruled today that President Trump can, for now, block the release of his tax and financial records to Congress. But in a separate case, it ruled that he must, pending further proceedings, hand them over to a New York grand jury. Coming up, we'll talk about the rulings and their implications. Then Stanford Graduate School of Business professor and social psychologist Brian Lowry described racism he has experienced and what white Americans can do to support the Black Lives Matter movement in a Washington Post opinion piece he published last month. He'll join us to share why he thinks the time for talk has passed. That's all next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. In a 7-2 opinion issued this morning, the Supreme Court ruled that President Trump must, pending further proceedings, turn over his financial records and tax returns to a New York State grand jury investigating his business dealings. Writing for the majority, Chief Justice John Roberts said that, quote, The public has a right to every man's evidence and that since the earliest days of the republic, every man has included the president of the United States. In a separate case, the court ruled again in a seven to two opinion with Chief Justice Roberts writing for the majority that President Trump can for now block the release of his tax and financial records for congressional committees. In this segment, we're going to talk about the legal and real world implications of these cases with Andrea Bernstein, who is co-host of Trump Incorporated, a podcast from WNYC and ProPublica. And she's the author of American Oligarchs, the Kushners and the Trumps and the Marriage of Money and Power. And welcome back to Forum.
3: Great to be on the show.
0: Great to have you here. Also, want to welcome Steve Vladek uh, back, uh, professor at the University of Texas School of Law, also co-host of the National Security Law Podcast and Supreme Court Analyst for CNN. Good to have you back with us. Good morning.
2: Great to be with you. Uh,
0: let me begin, if I may, with you, Professor Vladek. And I'd like to begin with the Vance case. That's certainly... Getting a great deal of uh, attention, they both are, but perhaps that one more. They were both seven and two cases, but that was a big defeat for President Trump. His financial records will have to go to Cyrus Vance in the New York DA's office, but they remain confidential because of grand jury proceedings. Uh, so this will presumably, unless there's some leaks, not mean that the public will have any access to them.
2: Not only that, but I mean, as you said off the top, there's a there's a critical three-word phrase here: pending further proceedings. You know the. The majority opinion by Chief Justice John Roberts really does at least um, preserve the possibility that President Trump could raise additional objections on remand, that he could try to argue that these subpoenas are, are seeking privileged information, that they're seeking information in a way that's overbroad. I don't think those are winners. I mean, I think the decision today does clear the way for Vance to get these documents eventually. But, you know, I think for a lot of folks, the, the timing is the key. And I don't think it's obvious that it's going to be overnight. I think the the Supreme Court has quite deliberately left the door open for there to be further litigation, perhaps all the way back up to the Supreme Court before the materials are actually turned over to this New York grand jury.
0: So it doesn't seem likely that American citizens or the public will get to see what is in these returns.
2: Certainly not, I think, before November. And so I think, you know, we've got... We, we, the, the headlines here, I think, are, are a bit complicated, where I think in both cases, you know, the president lost in his sort of categorical objections to the subpoenas, but he won at least a delay um, where it's very possible that even if these documents are going to be turned over to the New York prosecutor in the Vance case, to these congressional committees in the Mazars case, they won't be turned over in time to have the impact that so many folks, I think, want them to have which is to inform the electorate heading into November, you know, if I had to bet, I think the odds are pretty heavily against any of this information coming to light before November 3rd.
0: And you said the president lost, but the presidency won. That's kind of the reversal of what you said about Nixon with Watergate, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's a common sort of pithy summary of the of the Supreme Court's July 1974 ruling against President Nixon, where it recognized this broad constitutional executive privilege and then said it didn't apply to the Watergate tapes that Nixon lost, but the presidency won. You know, I think there's no question the presidency lost today um, in that the sort of broad structural arguments about presidential immunity were soundly rejected. Um, And actually all nine justices rejected the immunity argument in advance, but in a way that does not conclusively mean Trump loses in the short term. And so for folks who view this all as just a question of what we'll know by November, You know, I think Trump may have won today, even if the presidency lost rather resoundingly.
0: Did he win as far as the decision with respect to the Congress uh, not necessarily getting access to his records? That would presumably be the assumption. But nevertheless, uh, this is going to go down to lower courts, isn't it?
2: It's going to go down to lower courts. And I actually think that the, you know, the chief justice's majority opinion in the Mazars case, the congressional case, sets out a roadmap for lower courts to follow going forward. You know, I, I think the chances are pretty good that at least the subpoena from the House Intelligence Committee um, and perhaps also the subpoena from uh, the, the Financial Services Committee might satisfy the chief justice's criteria. Um, and so it's possible that this goes back down only to have the lower court say, yep, we hear you, Supreme Court, and we're reaching the same result again right the key is that's going to take some time and it's hard to imagine this all gets you know down to the lower courts and then back up to the supreme court in time for some kind of final decision by november 3rd that's why i think you know it's right to see these rulings as you know bad for the presidency and losses for trump in the abstract but you know i think for trump the tactician um you know delay is the name of the game here and in that regard
0: I think we may have lost the connection to Steve Vladek. Actually, uh we'll go right to you anyway, Andrea Bernstein. I intended to because uh even though uh the way Professor Vladick is framing this, it doesn't necessarily sound like it's bad for the president. The president talked about this as a tweeted this out as a political prosecution and uh he essentially said there's been uh really uh, deference in the past, but not for me, deference to uh uh <laughs> proven cases uh, as far as precedence is concerned, but for you, this is a, a kind of triumph for the justice system, isn't it? No citizens above the law.
3: Yes. I mean, I, you know, I was in the courtroom in Manhattan when Trump's lawyers said that a sitting president could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and not even be investigated so long as he was president. They were arguing for absolute temporary presidential immunity from prosecution of any sort so that is what trump's lawyers asked the court for and they lost at every level they lost at the district level they lost at the appeals court level and they just lost at the supreme court so it sort of i think depends on what your uh, criteria for wins and losses are if your criteria for wins is that a president should be subject to oversight. In both cases, actually, the Supreme Court affirmed that. The Supreme Court said, yes, the DA should be able to go ahead with his investigation. They didn't even, uh, they just dismissed an argument that Trump's lawyers made over and over again through all of the levels of the courts, which was that uh, the investigation by the Manhattan district attorney was a politically motivated prosecution. We, We know how Trump views corruption investigations of politicians because of the whole Ukraine scandal and that's what he said was happening to him that political opponents were coming after him and the US Supreme Court said no this is a legitimate investigation you have to comply and it will go back to the lower court but Trump also lost at the lower court so there's no indication why that couldn't move fairly quickly although I think I agree with Steve we just don't know if it's going to happen between now and November On the issue of the congressional subpoenas, which had to do with three House committees, oversight, intelligence, and financial services, looking into various aspects of the Trump family business, the court said, yes, that is a legitimate grounds for congressional investigation. You just have to put a box around it because you can't have a Congress running rampant asking personal information of the president. So that goes back to the lower courts who also supported the idea of a congressional investigation and there could be a resolution in both of these matters. so if your if your criteria is this has to happen by November or it's a total win for Trump, then I think it may not happen by November but if you're, if your question, which Trump posed, is no president is subject to any oversight, then Trump lost in both cases.
0: Well, and actually precedence is thinking not only about Nixon with Watergate, but also about Clinton with the Paula Jones case. I mean, in both cases, uh, I, I think we set a precedent, didn't we?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because both of the Supreme Court cases uh, start with uh, Aaron Burr, (laughs) who people who just watched Hamilton will know, just post-duel and the legal battle between Aaron Burr and Thomas Jefferson, and walk through two centuries of history, through Nixon, through Clinton, before landing on Trump v. Vance and Trump v. Mazar's, his accountants. And one of the interesting things in the Trump v. Mazar's case is that the court said this idea of our putting a limit or a boundary or addressing the question of congressional investigation of private papers has never come up. Now, there is a reason why it hasn't come up because you've never had a president with as extensive business interests while he's been a sitting president as President Trump. And the court was put in the position of having to create a rule for how such an investigation should proceed. And that's what it did today.
0: I think we have Steve Ladek back with us uh, and uh, Steve Laddick again as professor of law at University of Texas School of Law. What does uh, the congressional decision mean with respect to, well, balance of power uh, and especially possible shrinking of congressional oversight authority as you see it, Steve?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's a bit of a mixed bag. I mean, I think on the one hand, you know, this is the first time in a generation the Supreme Court has not just directly ruled in favor of a congressional subpoena. Um, And so it, you know, puts limits on the congressional subpoena power that we've never seen before. But on the other hand, you know, the the chief justice has told Congress how to do it the right way. Um, The majority, which, you know, includes Justices Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, rejected the argument advanced by Judge Naomi Rao below that Congress categorically can't issue subpoenas like this unless it's in its impeachment role. Um, And they decided the case. You know, which is different from how the D.C. Circuit had, had handled the Don McGahn appeal, where it said that the courts had nothing to do in these disputes. So, you know, I think we have a little bit of both um, a really positive ruling for Congress and some limits, where the positive is the court saying, here's how you do it, and the court saying, and we'll be here to have your back if you do it the right way, while saying, you know, we're not sure you've ticked those boxes yet in this case. And so that's why I think, you know, Andrew's exactly right, that the question is, what is your definition of a win going into these cases today? You know, Congress took a little bit of a blow, but I actually think that in the long term, these rulings are probably good for Congress because they clarify that the courts can enforce their subpoenas and they clarify exactly what those subpoenas have to look like to be valid. You know, Congress is going to read these decisions and have a much better idea going forward of, you know, what it can do to— compel um, compliance with its process.
0: Andrea, this is the only president who has not allowed his tax returns to be seen. He's been using an excuse, I guess it's still extant, about uh, his tax returns being under audit. But uh, he could have released them at any time, even if they were under audit. Uh, That's been an intense legal battle just to keep these documents secret. Is there any way before the election that they can come out other than somebody leaking them from Deutsche Bank or from... Uh, for that matter, uh, the grand jury?
3: Well, I mean, uh, the simplest way is Trump could just release them as every other president has done in modern history, although there's no indication that that will happen. I mean, I think it's worth remembering a couple of things. In the case of the criminal investigation, uh, once that is sorted out, at the lower courts, the documents go to the grand jury, so they are secret until such time if and when the DA were to indict Trump and or his business and they would become could potentially become part of a public court record. Uh, With the congressional ones, if if they were to happen there, uh, it could become public also as part of a congressional report, Uh, but I think, as you know, someone who is uh, probably right up there with the Americans that have wanted to see these documents, uh, I think the time is running out because it's not like you look at a tax return and it just sort of t- tells you a story. It's a it's a complicated thing, and it's complicated by design. It's not supposed to be easy for you to find problems. You have to compare them to lots of other records. So. Um, again, if the criteria is like, let's get this all sorted out for November, I agree that looks pretty grim. But as to these ever seeing the light of day, I I think that is a a different story. And interestingly, I just got an emailed statement uh, from Congressman Adam Schiff, the the chair of the Intelligence Committee, uh, who sort of acknowledged that the delay uh, is, is harmful to the investigation, but that he believes they actually will prevail and they will be able to get some of these documents. So if that happens and they eventually see the light of day, I think we're sort of arguing for, for history at this point uh, and, and also the future, what future presidents have to do. So this creates an opportunity for us to not have this kind of disclosure tussle going forward with future presidents of the United States.
0: Well, let me ask our listeners what kind of questions you have about these cases and their impact. You can indeed, and I invite you to join us now, or if you have comments, if you want to weigh in, please feel free to join the conversation. You can give us a call and join us at 866-733-6786. That's 866 866- 733 733-6786. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email questions or comments you might have to forum at kqed.org. We're talking to Andrea Bernstein, co-host of Trump and Inc., which is a podcast from WNYC and ProPublica. She's also the author of American Oligarchs, The Kushners, The Trumps, and The Marriage of Money and Power. And Steve Laddock, professor at the University of Texas School of Law. He's also co-host of the National Security Law podcast and Supreme Court analyst for CNN. Please feel free, listeners, to join us. Uh, I want to go f- back to you, though, Steve, if I could, just to find out about another case that has been overshadowed by these two that was decided, and that's the tribal sovereignty case. And maybe you could just break this down for us, because it, uh, it in many ways, is really kind of fascinating, involving uh, na- native sovereignty, Indian sovereignty in Oklahoma, and uh, what the laws are in a secular way, in a regular, re- as far as the republic is concerned.
2: This is, this is a case that actually the Supreme Court has been dealing with in some way, shape, or form really for three years now. Um, and, you know, it was almost decided last term, but Justice Gorsuch had to recuse because the, the case the court had the first time around um, was before him when he was a lower court judge. The, the basic dispute um, is that the um, Muskegee uh, Creek tribe claims a large chunk of eastern Oklahoma— as tribal land, as Native American territory that was never lawfully surrendered or given to the state of Oklahoma. Um, And the argument is that because of that, the state of Oklahoma cannot prosecute those crimes that fall under a federal statute called the Major Crimes Act, that basically the tribe has exclusive jurisdiction over these cases. Um, And by a five to four vote today, the Supreme Court agreed. Uh, Justice Neil Gorsuch, wrote the majority opinion, joined by the court's more, four more progressive justices, um, and held that at least for purposes of this federal statute, the Major Crimes Act. Yes, uh, much of eastern Oklahoma is not, in fact, Oklahoma. Um, the, the messy part is the court left for another day, whether that means the territory is not part of Oklahoma for any purpose, such that you know Oklahoma civil law doesn't apply in the territory, or whether this is just about who gets to prosecute crimes. Um, But I think it's a a surprising and surprisingly pro-tribal ruling from a Supreme Court that has historically been, I think we can safely say, not exactly in a hurry to protect um, these kinds of claims by by Native American tribes.
0: Yeah, I must confess, I was surprised by the decision, uh, and it really had to do with Gorsuch ultimately. But what does this mean for Jimmy McGirt? This is uh, what essentially uh, was a catalyst for this whole case. Uh, This is someone... Uh, a member of the tribe who was convicted of sex crimes against a child and serving a life sentence. And uh, uh, he was tried in the state court. So does this mean that technically he has to go back and be tried by his own people, by his own tribe, or that all those other cases that were tried in the state court have to be retried?
2: So from a GERD, it certainly means that the state court prosecution gets wiped out. And so it's a question of whether he's going to be prosecuted by a tribal court or whether federal authorities might try to prosecute him because there is concurrent jurisdiction between the federal government and Native American tribes. Um, How broadly this applies to other cases really does remain to be seen. I mean, Justice Gorsuch spends a good chunk of the end of his opinion trying to assuage the concerns of the chief justice's dissent that this is actually going to, you know, set off, open up some floodgates. There are um, a couple of procedural obstacles that might get in the way for a bunch of defendants, especially if their convictions were final. Um, There are reasons to, you know, wonder if uh, criminal defendants who have served most of their sentences might not want to run the risk of being tried again and having to serve a different sentence under a different body of law. So it remains to be seen just how many cases this affects, but it certainly is going to um, throw into some confusion um, exactly who has, you know, lawful authority over much of eastern Oklahoma. and. You know, to be clear, this isn't just, you know, rural parts of Oklahoma. This is the city of Tulsa. So um, it's really a remarkable decision. I think everyone expected that it was going to go the way that Justice Gorsuch would go because, you know, the court was unable to decide it with eight justices two years ago. Um, and, you know, given Gorsuch's commitment to, you know, Native American issues um, as a lower court judge thus far in his tenure on the Supreme Court, I guess I'm not shocked it came out this way. I just think it's, it's an unusually um, – pro-tribal ruling from the court, and one that I think is not just going to have an impact in Oklahoma, but also perhaps in other tribal cases as well.
0: Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to follow this, and uh, the same for the other two cases that we're talking about. And uh, let me get a caller on her. Alan joins us. Alan, welcome.
1: Give my call. Uh, I'll, keep, I'll keep this brief. What are the potential
0: outcomes to President Trump if— um, if the cases are uh, decided against him, uh, regardless of whether it's before or after the election? Well, we go to that in more detail, perhaps with you, Andrea Bernstein.
3: Yes. So um, a few things are, are going on, a few investigations. The Manhattan District Attorney, Cyrus Vance, began investigating Trump, oh, just about a year ago. It was August of 2019. This was after federal prosecutors had concluded their investigation of Michael Cohen, President Trump's former personal attorney for, and he was sentenced to prison for uh, making illegal hush money payments in the Stormy Daniels affair. After that, deciding that they couldn't prosecute, they turned over some materials to the Manhattan District Attorney, and the Manhattan District Attorney's Office began investigating whether Trump and, his, and or his company had violated New York state business laws by misrepresenting payments to Michael Cohen as retainers when they were actually hush money payments. So they were actively doing an, a new criminal investigation of that. There was a grand jury and when they asked Trump's accountants for his tax records. That's the point at which Trump stepped in and sued. The effect of the case today is that the DA's investigation can continue. There may have to be some discussions in a lower court about the extent of the subpoena, but there can be a criminal investigation of a sitting president. Um, while just while I've been on the air during this segment, I've heard from uh, now. Two chairs of congressional committees. And I I would sort of uh, sum up the congressional response as this is a a paraphrase and a summary as sort of not as bad as it could be. From their point of view, they were told you can continue to do oversight of the president. You can continue to request records. Uh, You just have to pass this four-factor test that puts a box around how extensive your request for documents can be. So that... May not happen before November, but it can happen.
0: It could happen, plausibly, at least. Uh, We are coming up on a break. When we return, we'll hear from more of you, our listeners. If you've just joined us, we're talking about two Supreme Court decisions that came down today. Actually, three came down today. We just touched on the Indian sovereignty question as well. And uh, giving some attention and analysis here. And we'll hear from you when we return. I'm Michael Krasny. listening to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about the Supreme Court decisions that were rendered this morning, delivered this morning, I should say, with Andrea Bernstein, co-host of Trump Inc., and uh, Stephen Vladek, professor at the University of Texas School of Law. Later on in this hour, we're going to be talking uh, with, uh, uh, excuse me, a Stanford professor and dean, uh, Brian Lowry. uh, And let me get to another caller here. Denise joins us from Campbell. Denise, you're on.
3: Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. So I have,
1: uh, apologies, it's a stupid question. So are the taxpayers paying for these litigations?
0: Hmm. So you seem to be cutting out, Denise. I, I think the, the, the import of the question was, uh, what's it costing taxpayers for all these investigations? And uh, you may want to tackle that, Andrea.
3: Yeah, this is really interesting. So the The Trump v. Vance and Trump v. Mazars and actually Trump v. Deutsche Bank, which was consolidated with Trump v. Mazars, Mazars are Trump's accountants, were all brought by Trump's private attorneys. However, the Justice Department joined them. So you had this specter of, in the Supreme Court, lawyers representing the Justice Department, representing essentially the taxpayers of the country, arguing on the same side as the president and his private business. So even though the case was not brought by private parties, Justice Department Legal uh, Resources went into supporting the legal efforts of Trump's private legal team.
0: One could presume that would even have been, to a greater extent, exacerbated by Bill Barr being in charge of the Justice Department, wouldn't we?
3: Yes, exactly. And, and in fact, there was one point at which uh, it was clear that the the Southern District of New York, which was the the jurisdiction that originally started the Stormy Daniels investigation, was not writing. The opinions in this case, they were coming out of main justice, which is a break from precedent.
0: And let me go to some uh, questions that are coming in, uh, Steve Vladek. I think are almost tailor made for you. John wants to know what was the basis of the dissents from Justices Alito and Thomas in the financial records cases.
2: So they actually they're dissenting on slightly different grounds. I mean, I think Justice Thomas really comes the closest to embracing the categorical arguments that president Trump's personal lawyers, as Andrea said, has, had made. Um, and that's is Alito's objections are a bit narrower. Alito in the congressional cases. So Mazars and Deutsche Bank um, would just uh, not give quite as generous terms to Congress on remand. And in the Vance case, you know, he's much more worried about the specter of 23, 2400 prosecutors harassing a president. And I think, you know, the, It's a pretty interesting sign, first, that these decisions were seven to two. And so both of President Trump's appointees joined in both majority opinions. Um, But second, I mean, you know, these dissents are actually, I think, relatively mild compared to what we might have expected, given how high profile the cases are. I think part of that is because for Thomas and Alito, they, too, see that this is not the immediate, you know, 100 percent across the board loss for Trump um, that it might have been. You know, their dissents, I think, are a bit more specific and, at least for Alito, much more focused on what he thinks the litigation should look like going forward.
0: There's a question from a listener who says, can you explain why Vance can't enforce the subpoenas immediately? No preliminary injunction, right? Trump might have after-the-fact remedies, but no more restraint on acquiring the documents. So,
2: uh, I, mean, Vance could, <laughs> he, I mean, Vance could try to enforce the subpoena immediately. The problem is that one has to imagine that the president's personal lawyers are ready to walk into court this afternoon um, and seek a TRO or a preliminary injunction to raise the very claims that the Chief Justice's majority opinion says are still available on remand. And this is where I think, you know, we have to parse the statements carefully. I mean Deutsche Bank and Capital One, I think, both put out statements saying, you know, we we are ready to comply with the subpoenas once the court cases are final. Um, That's great. But that's not you know, it's they're not final just because of what the Supreme Court said at 10 o'clock this morning. And I think that's why, you know, that's why there's daylight between the headline that Trump is probably going to lose and the headline that, you know, the documents aren't necessarily being turned over today.
0: Let me bring another caller on here. Jake joins us. Jake, welcome. You're on the air on forum.
1: Hey, good morning. Um, There's two separate cases uh, and the congressional case is the one I wanted to refer to. Um, trying to get the records from Trump are, are undoubtedly in, in the public interest. The whole point is to try and find out what influence he may be having or have over him. So it seems that timeliness is super important, given the president's are only presidents for four years, and the courts can drag these things out on and on and on beyond the presidency. So given that, I, I, I wonder uh, your two guests. Uh, one is obviously uh, expediting some kind of final decision, but also, can, can uh, future Congress, uh, should the Democrats get both houses, actually create laws rather than a constitutional amendment that require presidents to reveal uh, their taxes?
0: Yeah, Jake, I thank you for the question. Andrea Bernstein, let me go to you.
3: Yes. Congress could do that, and and the specter of it was raised. I mean, I think what's very interesting about the congressional subpoena uh, decisions, decision of the two cases, was that the In the oral arguments, the court really focused on the idea of what if you have a runaway Congress, Justice Breyer raised the idea, what if you have a a future Senator McCarthy investigating a future President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and they were very focused on how you limit uh, congressional power. Much less so, in fact, they barely address the idea of what happens when you have a president, as this one has done, who has just refused every form of oversight, refused to comply with subpoenas, witnesses don't testify, doesn't hand over documents, fires inspectors general, etc., etc., etc. And the court didn't grapple with that. However, by proclaiming, I mean, Uh, you know, a concern that a number of legal scholars had is what if the court just said, no, Congress cannot ask for these things. You would have a situation where Congress had no meaningful oversight of the president going forward, which would have not only, uh, which would have damaged the presidency and which would have had a serious erosion of democratic principles. That did not happen today.
0: Question uh, for you, uh, Professor Vladek, from Lee, who says, doesn't the IRS have copies of Trump's tax returns? How does the Southern District of New York and IRS jurisdiction overlap?
2: So, I mean, the IRS does have copies, but the laws are actually pretty clear about who can access them and for what purposes. Um, And so, you know, I think that's why this has been such a fight Um, to sort of tie a couple threads together. I mean, I think a new Congress could, you know, make it compulsory, but I also think one of the things we're seeing here is the values to any president that are inherent in the sort of delays of litigation. And so something else that we ought to be, I think, thinking much more about is not just um, disclosure requirements that a new Congress could enact, but also expedited judicial review procedures that would actually require courts to move faster so that we can get to the merits quickly, so we can decide, you know, is this material the president's allowed to block or not? And, you know, to Andrea's point, I mean, I think the most important thing the Supreme Court said today was something that didn't even say directly in the Mazars case, but that you know Congress can, in appropriate circumstances, subpoena the president's personal documents, and the courts can enforce those subpoenas. And so I think what we really ought to be talking about beyond the sort of you know current and specific case of Trump is how Congress in the future can make that power most effective. Um, and I think part of that is substantive. but I also think part of that's procedural. And I think you know the lawyers obviously are going to gravitate toward the procedural side. But the more that we can speed up this process, the more that we can you know have faith that the president can't just hide behind obstruction and delay to block material that the American people have a right to see.
0: And a quick uh, final question for you, Andrea Bernstein. Uh, Bernstein, excuse me. A listener wants to know, do either of the Supreme Court decisions have any bearing on the legitimacy of the arguments made by Trump to block his administration's staffers from complying with subpoenas to appear before congressional committees?
3: Well, that is a matter in another case involving uh, former White House Counsel Don McGahn that is currently in the uh, circuit of the District of Columbia. Uh, so we will be awaiting decisions on that. Uh, I mean, you know, I feel as someone who spent who has spent in my podcast and working on my book, trying to understand and unearth Trump's business history, which has been so difficult because he is so, so, so resistant. I felt that today's decisions are a, a victory for disclosure and the principle of disclosure and oversight, if not a victory for this specific president. And I agree with Steve that this president has shown you can win If you just dig in your heels and keep fighting, uh, at least through one four-year term, after that, we'll see what happens.
0: Well, we will indeed. And Andrea, Steve, thanks to both of you for being with us. I appreciate it.